1. And we're going to read the whole of the chapter. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and our Father. To whom be glory forever and forever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you in deed before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only... He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So reads the word of God. And we'll look at that passage together in a few moments. Before we do, we'll sing the hymn number 600. We're going to see 600. It'll come obviously on the screen. 
And I saw that it was grace, sheer grace, that God was justifying a sinner through faith. Now, there were many things that Martin realized in the Catholic Church of the time which profoundly disturbed him, particularly the selling of indulgences to support the project of the then Pope, Leo X, in building the Sistine Chapel in Rome. And he'd hired a painter who didn't come particularly cheap. His name was Michelangelo. And he then appointed a monk by the name of Tetzel to raise money for this project. And Tetzel had this little ditty which accompanied him wherever he went, which went like this. When a coin into the coffers rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So based on a wholly unbiblical dogma of purgatory... Ordinary people were giving money to supposedly free loved ones from purgatory, of course, which is not biblical. And Luther began to protest. It was innate superstition that he saw. And he had increasing discomfort with what was happening in the church and its doctrines and practices. And so on October the 31st, 1517, he nailed his 95 theses, which were basically protests and doctrinal statements, to the door of a church in Wittenberg in Germany. And tomorrow is 505 years since that event. And in many people's minds today is called Reformation Sunday. Now, when asked what was at the heart of his beliefs... Martin Luther always responded that the heart of his belief was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that Romans 1 verses 16 and 17 had been pivotal in his conversion to Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, while Martin Luther held some views which have raised eyebrows uh, in, by, by many, he was a man who was certainly absolutely instrumental in the Reformation which swept across Europe, in the rediscovery of the truths of the gospel. Now, the word gospel has been formative in my years as I look back. So, when I was a young child, I went to a Sunday school. It was in a gospel hall in deepest Devon in a little town called Totnes. You can't probably read it, but it says Totnes Gospel Hall. When I came to Liverpool University to study, I met my wife, Angela, and we got married in her hometown, which is a little town in Herefordshire called Lempster, and we got married in that wonderful building there, which has got fantastic grounds, as you can see, um, Lempster Gospel Hall. So when we came out of the hall, having been married, we walked straight into a bus shelter, 
That was the wonderful sort of picture um, that we had in a bus shelter, uh, having just been married. So it was a gospel hall. And I've always loved music. Music has been important to me when I've been traveling. I did a lot of overseas traveling, have little earphones, listen to music, even coming up in the car up the M6 this morning. I was listening to some gospel music. Gospel is clearly very, very important in my life. It has always been. And there are websites that you can go to. If you want to have great resources, there's a website called Together for the Gospel and the Gospel Coalition. So here we have gospel at the very center of these things. The word gospel is found 90 times in the New Testament. 11 times in the book of Galatians. Six times in chapter 1. And so really as we think about this word gospel this morning, it's such an important word in the whole of scripture. Now Paul is writing this letter some 17 years after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's probably only one or two years since he had first preached in the region of Galatia. That is recorded in Acts chapters 13 and 14. And churches had been planted in that region. But it's very clear as you read this opening section of Galatians chapter 1 that the gospel is in trouble. And Paul is expressing his absolute astonishment and his alarm of the news that is filtering down to him that within a short span of time, people were deviating from the gospel which he had preached just one or two years previously. And unlike every other letter that we have in the New Testament written by Paul, there is no note of thanksgiving in the beginning. There is no commendation. But he comes straight to the point in verse 6. I marvel, he says, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And the reason, verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so the main thrust of this opening part of Galatians chapter 1 is one of desertion. Verses 6 to 10. Desertion. Now from time to time we hear of members of parliament who cross sides in the House of Commons. They go from one set of benches across to the other side. And they're then called deserters. You've deserted your party. Many years ago, my brother-in-law joined the army. And he signed up for a fixed period of time. After a short time, he decided he couldn't hack it. And so he ran away and deserted. And it wasn't long before the military police came knocking on the door... And came for him to take him back to the barracks. He was a deserter and had to go back. 
Now, that's the idea that Paul is expressing in Galatians 1, one of desertion. It is spiritual desertion. Because the gospel that Paul had brought to the churches in Galatia was all about Jesus. You note that in verse 4. It is he who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And so what Paul had brought to the churches was that ultimately men and women have one real great need. It is the sin problem, which severs that relationship with God, a holy God. And Christ had come into the world and given himself for our sins. That is substitutionary atonement. It is a great truth which comes to us throughout scripture, that there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin, that he only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in, that bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned, he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. And it's no wonder that Paul is going to explode in praise later on in chapter 2 and verse 20. And he's going to say with passion and conviction that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And so the gospel which Paul had preached was a gospel about substitution, verse 4, and deliverance. Deliverance from this present evil age. Christ came to deliver us. To deliver us from ourselves, our sin, and from this present evil age. Now on the one hand, we live in an amazing world of advancing technology, don't we? There are so many advances that we can see. I've worked in the medical field for nigh on 50 years, I guess, and... To see the advances in the last 10 years is just amazing as well. Having worked on COVID and seen the advances of the the vaccine in COVID and then some drugs for treating COVID, seeing some of the advances for treating cancers and cardiovascular disease, we see amazing advances and that is just in one branch of science. But what occupies the news coverage mostly that we see? It's mostly the evil actions of men. Ukraine, where we see the evil actions of regimes and individuals. But also daily evil actions. I come from Liverpool and just a few weeks ago there was a nine-year-old girl who was shot dead. Evil actions of men. Just this past week there was that first televised court case of a lady who'd murdered a friend and then decapitated her her body and then dumped it. The evil actions of men. And we see the reality of what Jeremiah wrote, that the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And Paul recognized that he was living, and we are living, in an evil age with For Paul, the power of Rome uppermost and freedoms which were curtailed. But he's speaking beyond that, just that one pagan regime of Rome. He is speaking to a world which 
we were talking before about the darkness of the world and we need the light of Christ. And that is what Paul is speaking into. And that was the gospel that he was preaching about deliverance from the present evil age and rescue. And it was all centered on Jesus The one who the Gospels tell us came into the world proclaiming the gospel of a kingdom, which was a better kingdom, a kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and the need to repent and to believe the gospel. And some in Galatia had responded and they responded and they'd formed themselves into churches and they'd embraced verse six, the grace of of Christ that they didn't have to work that they didn't have to go step by step but that they could come and they could acknowledge that God had done something in Christ that is grace God's riches at Christ's expense so here was the gospel Paul had preached about substitution and deliverance and grace And now what was at stake is that just one or two years, that message had become distorted and some had deserted. And as the book unfolds and you you see exactly what the heart of the problem was, that there were individuals who'd stepped out of Judaism to embrace Christ as the Messiah, the Christ of God. But they were still holding on to the ceremonial markers of Jewish tradition, such as circumcision and observing certain food laws, observing certain days. And these people had infiltrated the churches and been teaching the Gentile believers that they needed to follow such customs as well. That the message Paul had preached of faith in Christ alone was not enough. It was faith in Christ plus other things. That Paul had been preaching a partial gospel. But the real gospel was faith in Christ plus doing, doing, and doing. And Paul doesn't hesitate here to condemn such teaching of legalism and formalism because the it was outward structures which they were talking of and he condemns in the strongest possible terms anything to do with works he says in verse 6 it's a different gospel it is not the gospel of the lord jesus christ and it was the gospel that was at stake for paul it was so important And he, in the strongest terms, if you read just verses 8 and 9, he he talks about, uh, let them be accursed. It's strong language, verse 8 and verse 9. Verse 9, as I said before, so now I say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. But that was a long time ago. And far away. So what about now? Well, we need to recognize that such teaching is still alive in our cities, in Chorley, and towns. A few weeks ago, I had some overseas visitors who came to Liverpool. 
And they wanted to see four things. They wanted to see two football stadia and two cathedrals. So I took them to two football stadia and I took them to the two cathedrals. In one of the cathedrals, the Metropolitan Cathedral, on the way in I picked up a welcome sheet. That welcome sheet said this. This church believes its origin can be found in the words of Jesus to Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Quoting from, but totally misunderstanding, Matthew 16 verse 18. It went on. Catholics see truth as having been communicated orally as well as written down. Hence, oral traditions that have their source in Jesus and are definitely taught by this Holy Spirit-guided church have equal authority to the Bible. I picked that up just a few weeks ago at the front of the building. It's a bizarre statement, but boils down ultimately to it's the Bible they're saying plus tradition. The traditions of the church. And it's not a million miles away from what Paul is saying to the Galatian church. And it's not a million miles away from what Luther was saying back in 1517. Now you may be saying, okay, well that's just, that's not relevant to our church. That's, that's totally irrelevant. But here's a question. How long would it take for the gospel to be in trouble... In a church with a rich heritage of Bible teaching and adherence to the historic Christian faith. Just the wrong leader or leaders who dilute the message of the Bible. Who rely on personality and persuasion more than the power of the Holy Spirit. Who love status more than servanthood. And the church will be in trouble. Maybe just to focus on things that are outward. Formalism and legalism. There's always a danger of Christ plus. Always. Even for a church like Chorley. So we constantly need to ask. If there is anything that we are adding to the gospel. As a badge which is saying, this is orthodoxy. Is it Christ plus? Something outward. Some long-held tradition. This is what Paul was challenging here in Galatians chapter 1. Maybe we have to think as we look ahead. For some churches to get into trouble today... It would be polarization and confrontation on potentially divisive issues that is written large in our secular society. Things like gender and sexuality or complementarianism. We always need to remember that there is a generation growing up, my children and grandchildren, your children and grandchildren, those who are here this morning, they are growing up when they are bombarded with equality and diversity and sexuality on a daily basis in school. And you can say, I'm not going to let them have social media. But in school, if it's a, 
a normal school, they will be bombarded with these sort of things. And it will inevitably, to some extent, infiltrate into our churches. And it's like a tsunami which is coming. And we need to stand against it. The gospel was at stake. And Paul is writing. The gospel is being called into question. And I want us to note in the second place this morning that the issue of revelation is vital to Paul. Because some people were saying, well, who is Paul? Who is he? What's his credentials? And in the second half of this opening chapter, he talks about how the message had come to him. Verse 11, for the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is here giving his testimony. I love testimonies. We should have more testimonies in church. I love testimonies. I have a testimony. Do you? My testimony is being converted at the age of 14 at a church camp in Devon. I remember the speaker. He was an itinerant evangelist by the name of Roger Forster. He'd been an interim pastor for nine months at a church I'd never heard of called Belvedere Road Church in Liverpool in the early 1960s. Little did I realise that this man who'd been a pastor of a church in Liverpool I'd never heard of, one day I would spend many, many years in that church, Belvedere Road Church in Liverpool. God has strange ways of moving people around and, and causing people to, to come to know him in, in strange ways. Paul had a testimony. It's something he would never forget what he was. He talks in verse 13 about his former conduct, his former life. It wasn't hidden. It was known. It was out there. And it wasn't good. He was a man with blood on his hands. He was basically a terrorist. He was. He was basically someone who was persecuting the church of Christ violently, seeking to destroy it. Ultimately, the church was close to being destroyed by this man. He hated Christians. He hated any mention of Christ. Destroy the church. Well, if Vladimir Putin has in recent months unleashed a reign of terror against Ukraine, which is hideous and barbaric, and it is, seeking to re-establish parts of the former Soviet Union in Ukraine, then Paul had a reign of terror against anyone naming Jesus as the Messiah. This intelligent man who'd advanced beyond anyone else in Judaism, who'd sat and learned from the very best teachers, was a zealot, totally opposed to Christ until God intervened in his life. 
And we have that narrative back in Acts chapter 9, and we have his accounts of his conversion in Acts 21 and 26, and we have part of that con- uh, conversion narrative here in Galatians chapter 1. What happened to Paul? He says in verse 15, originated with God. Verse 15, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. You see those two terms? Paul had been separated and he'd been called. God was at work even before he was born. Now there's a mystery How could God have been at work before he was born and yet he was such a a terrorist? And yet God, in time, called him by the gospel. On that road to Damascus, when the light shone and a voice came, Saul, Saul, that was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. Saul was his Jewish name. Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And what he experienced on that road changed him 180 degrees. And he describes his conversion here as being separated or set apart and called. Have you heard the call of Jesus? Softly pleading with your heart. That's how we become a Christian. You hear the call of the kingdom. You hear the call of Christ. You hear that call to repent, to recognize your sin, to recognize who Christ is. Have you? Well, we're dealing here with revealed truth. It's something that can be trusted. It's not man's gospel. Paul is adamant about that. It's being received by revelation so that he might preach it and make it known. And he had this tremendous change of heart on that road to Damascus. He describes then going into Arabia for three years. Isn't that interesting that Paul went into Arabia and for three years, he says in verse 18, then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. (laughs) How long were the disciples of Christ, with Christ? For three years. How long was Paul with Christ? In that desert place, three years. And he received from Christ directly this message of the gospel. And this parallel, I think, is really important. And Paul is saying, my credentials are as an apostle. So he starts the book in verse 1 with Paul, an apostle. He is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't invention. This isn't man-made. This isn't tradition. This is revealed truth from God. And therefore, what I've preached to you, says Paul, you can have absolute confidence in. It's a gospel to be loved and embraced, which brings us in the third place, finally, to our application. Well, today we have the Bible and Christian belief we're constantly under attack. The predominant worldview, which comes through the media and every part of education, is atheistic. It is. 
And we need to remind ourselves that what we have in our hands this morning is not the invention of men. But it is the very gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2018, the scientist and well-known man with many uh, disabled, uh, uh, disabled issues, Stephen Hawking, he wrote in a newspaper, There is no heaven or afterlife. It's a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. To which Professor John Lennox, Christian, wrote back to the newspaper, Atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the light. And that is true. Those who are afraid of the light say there is no God. Because God is light. And he is known. Just look at creation. (laughs) There is a God. Just look at the Bible. He has spoken. Just look at Christ. He is the manifestation of God. And the passion here of the Apostle Paul is to ensure that the church in Galatia, but beyond that, the church in Chorley this morning, has confidence in the revealed truth that we do not turn to another gospel. Truth matters. Our culture constantly communicates that truth doesn't matter. We can see that in politicians. We can see that all around us, truth does not matter. Fake news, it's a big word. But truth does matter. And what Paul is saying here is truth matters. I have a good friend by the name of Stuart Olliot. Stuart Olliot, I worked with for many years. Uh, He's written many books. But a few months ago, he preached a sermon on the 24 most wonderful words in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he said, this is the gospel. For God, gee, so loved the world that he gave his only son, O.S., That whoever believes on him should not perish, P, but have eternal life, E-L. That is the gospel of God about his only son. For those who are perishing, that we may get and gain eternal life. So friends, this morning, in an age where there is much invention and desertion, where the agenda of many is to sideline genuine Christian belief, let us be fixed and focused on ensuring that we live out, not just on a Sunday, but live out in the week, not with formalism and legalism of going through the motions, but with a heart knowledge of Jesus, living out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, So that we pass this message on to the next generation. Thank God for the Sunday school. Thank God for those who came last night. That we might pass on a message of light to the next generation. It's a gospel that doesn't need the approval of men. Whoever they are. Because it's divinely given 
and divinely revealed. And the gospel has power. No preacher has power. No church has power. But Jesus has power. And he can save. And he can work in a way that maybe we don't even expect. And can work here in this place in the days to come. Well, if you really believe the gospel, then you can sing our final hymn with great gusto. Great is the gospel. I think it's great is the gospel. I'll just have to check that that is the one we chose. It may not have been, but we will. Great is the gospel of our glorious God, where mercy met the